0: hey thanks so much for tuning into to the leesburg uh talk podcast this is a podcast where we uh put all kinds of random stuff up but uh one of the normal things regular things that we want to do is put our midweek wednesday night teaching here on the on the podcast that way if you miss it you can come back and listen and hear what was discussed the week prior now usually i record this live and then update uh, uh, upload it the next day uh, but because of some technical difficulty last week, it it didn't capture the audio recording, and so now I am I'm going to sit in my office. I'm going to uh, kind of talk through what we discussed this past Wednesday night. As always, you can join us on Wednesday nights from six to eight, uh, six thirty to eight o'clock. From six thirty to eight o'clock, uh, the student ministry meets in the Family Life Center, and we adults uh, meet down in the uh, in, in the worship center. So, with that being said. Uh, this is week two of our apologetics study. Now, the apologetics, if you remember, apologetics comes from the Greek word that's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's in you, but do so with gentleness and respect. Uh, in first Peter three verse fifteen that word uh uh to give a defense or to give an answer is depending on how you pronounce it uh, apologia or apologia uh I guess it just depends on how pretentious you are as to how you how you uh, 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 say that but um it, it it's the 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 art and it really is in some ways an art of giving a defense thinking logically and rationally through why do I believe what I believe and there's all kinds of avenues of uh, apology, uh, apologetics today and t- tonight we, we want to answer the question is apologetics biblical now apology is used multiple times in places in scripture The the word is used for example in first first Peter 315 where he says always give prepared but we also see uh we, we see it in, in action in, in Colossians chapter four. In Colossians chapter four, uh, uh, um, he says, walk in wisdom or be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Now, now he, he, here's, here's the thing. Who's who's the outsider? Uh, those in this context that, that, that Paul's writing, the outsiders are those outside of the faith or outside of the church. So be wise In the way that you act toward outsiders, make the most, he says, of every opportunity Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt or salty so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, here's the thing. Our speech should be tasty or salty so that others want more. Um, uh, we, we, need to be able to engage in society in a way that, that makes a difference. Now, here's the thing. Uh, and there are some, the, some lines here that we have to figure out. Well, well, how do I, how can my speech be seasoned with salt and at the same time uncompromising? And that's the question that's becoming more and more evident and pre- prevalent in, in our day to day. How do we engage with the world around us, uh, while not forfeiting, uh, truth. Uh, and that's what this class is designed to help us do. We asked the question is apologetics biblical giving an answer or a defense. And, and we said, well, certainly, uh, P- first Peter three says so P- call Paul and Colossians chapter four says that we need to, uh, be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. That's the idea of apologetics and giving a defense and, uh, taking, taking the, the most of every opportunity. Again, as we pointed out last week in our teaching, 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says that we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish arguments, and this is a very big deal for us today and for me today. We need to demolish arguments in our apologetics and not people. Um, This is huge. We're not demolishing people. We We demolish ideas. Uh, false ideas and false arguments and, and so for example it be very practical an example that I would use on our Wednesday night teaching is is with the LGBTQ plus uh, community right now and specifically with uh, the T um, uh, which would be represented as transsexual or um, yeah transsexual I guess it's the it's the pop word for it now uh, here's the thing we need to demolish arguments and not people well how do we do that? Well, I will. I will never uh, contend that a man can get pregnant. Uh, I will never support that idea. I will not use phrases like birthing peoples or anything like that. Oh, did it just stop again? Don't use. Uh, sorry, I thought my recording stopped, but I don't think it did. So, so, uh, uh, so. But I, I, we need to understand from a biblical point of view that, that our our enemy is not people who hold to that agenda, for example. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is, is, well, Satan. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We need to understand that this is a very spiritual uh, spiritual issue. Um, uh, we need to, to, to demolish the arguments there. So, so I'm not going to... Uh, uh, Give in in my terminology, but I'm also not going to uh, um, make people who are deluded the enemy. See, the, there are some people who are guilty of uh, of, of of building and um, really it's evangelizing for the LGBTQ plus agenda. Uh, they proselytize, they recruit. And then there are good, hard people who have simply been recruited. And the Scripture gave us two different ways to deal with uh, with false teachers and false students. With false teachers, those who propagate these foolish ideas, uh, uh, we should uh, uh, stand up and openly ridicule them, uh, openly speak out against them. Jesus gave us this very example with the Pharisees uh, and, and the teachers of the law. He often called them, what, whitewashed tombs? You teach the law, you say you know the law, but you don't know the law. You're you're whitewashed tombs, you're you're a den of vipers. Um, You're rotten to the core. You worry about the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is moldy and rotten. Jesus spoke very openly against uh, 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 his enemies. He also spoke not just religious enemies, but cultural enemies. Uh, Herod was definitely not a Christian leader or a uh, well, a Jewish leader. He wasn't a church leader, and he, but he was a political leader. And Jesus very openly spoke out against Herod. He called him in Matthew 25, I believe. He said, that fox. Uh, he is a, a cunning uh, uh, scavenger, is, is what Jesus described them as. And so I think Christians need to have that same type of mentality. We, we, we're we will easily call out and should be willing to call out false teachers within the church but also uh, uh bad leaders outside of the church for far too long has the church been vi- been been silent on political matters and they said well we can't talk about politics cuz we'll lose our 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 tax uh, uh tax exempt status listen my friends Christians uh, Uh, The the last thing we need to be concerned about is what good is your tax exempt status? If you lose your soul, I think that's the biblical question there. And so speak out against, for example, or speak out for political matters as well. For example, here in the state of Kentucky uh, here in November, uh, there's a, there's a a pro-life amendment. That's being got got to be voted on, on the um, Kentucky uh, uh, ballot. And, And we need to be well informed, and we need to be willing to speak out about that pro-life amendment, uh, an uh, an amendment to our constitution. Really, it's an anti-amendment. My my understanding of the law, as it is, or as the amendment that it's being worked up, is uh, it is saying that the 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 Constitution of Kentucky in no way uh, uh, protects a woman's right to abortion. And, and shall not be uh, read that that happens. And so I'm an advocate for churches. We need to be speaking out. Hey, you need to vote yes for that uh, to, to state. Uh, it's, unfortunately, I wish we were to go further and say that 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 um, uh, uh, abortion is, is, is um, illegal in the state of Kentucky. Uh, but instead, it stops short of that. And it says, well, there's no constitutional uh, uh, basis in granting for abortion for, uh, in the, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Uh, as we get closer to that time, I will be sharing more and more information about that, but that's something that we need to, to speak out against. Uh, Jude, Jude chapter three, um, going on with this question, is it biblical? Is it biblical to have these reasonings and maybe these debates even, uh, Jude three, he says, I can't, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once we're all entrusted to God's holy people. You've got to contend for it. See, there are people who want to uh, to pull you away from it, but you've got to contend for it. That means to fight for it. That means to to speak out openly uh, for it. In Titus chapter one verse nine, in speaking about eldership, he says an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Look at the words there, refute those who oppose it. So it's not just, well, you know, love and, well, no, it's not just love and grace and rainbows and butterflies. Uh, an elder is to be able to refute those who oppose what? In Titus nine, sound doctrine. See, there's sound doctrine and false doctrine, and you need to refute those who oppose sound doctrine, who propagate false doctrine. Or unsound doctrine. Uh, Philippians chapter one verse seven. Uh, Paul again writes, "It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, think about that. Defending and confirming the gospel. That's a big deal. Uh, defending. Uh, apologia is the word again there, or uh, or or apologia." Uh, confirming the gospel, the correcting untrue doctrine, and correcting and placing good biblical doctrine. It's not about winning arguments, but rather it's about lovingly but firmly standing up for what's true and not letting others be led astray by, by, by good-sounding arguments. An example of that could be today, uh, in many cases, not all cases— but in many cases in 2022 um, there's a lot of bad teaching unbiblical teaching around the idea of social justice now just the way it's phrased uh uh it could lead others to bad conclusions about it for example well who would in their right minds stand? who says well I'm not for social justice right uh you've got to defend from a from a from a, play, a, a losing position already but it's rooted that way. It's created that way uh, in order uh, to, to uh, get more and more people on board with it. It's not It's not just about winning arguments. It, it, it's more so about strongly but lovingly uh, uh, standing up for what's true and not letting others bits be, be sucked away by deceptive words. Now listen, in the past several years we've heard plenty of deceptive words. We've seen many, many, many people who have been recruited. Uh, in one way, shape, form of another to to uh, uh, activism in, in many ways that have theological undertur- undercurrents to it. Uh, for example, the social justice movement. We've got to think biblically about what's being uh, professed in those movements um, uh, so that we can uh, judge whether it's good or bad biblical or not. Uh, Philippians 1 chapter 7, uh, again, Paul says he's defending and, and confirming the gospel. Um, okay, there's that. Uh, so so it, it is, uh, again, the question we're answering now is, is apologetics biblical? And we say with an affirming yes. Not only did we see uh, uh, Paul saying that several times and Peter saying that, and be ready to give an account for a reason or a defense. Uh, think about the first commandment, the greatest commandment. And that's uh, Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." In Matthew 22, 37. Uh, the command involves engaging your mind. See, we're not called to blind faith. Uh, w- we must not exclude the mind in our love for uh, in our love for God. Um. So we we, we need to th- engage our mind. Uh. To believe in something without seriously reflecting on it or looking into it as an act of faith is it, not an act of faith. It's an act of foolishness. And, and, and that's a, a huge area where many of us are. If we want to believe in Christianity without first seriously reflecting on it and looking into it, that's not an act of faith. It's foolishness. And so that's why uh, apologetics is beneficial because it helps us to look into it. Now, uh, uh, Galatians—I'm I'm sorry, Colossians chapter two, verse eight says, "Don't be taken captive by deceptive philosophies. Don't be taken captive by selective, uh, by, by, by by deceptive philosophies." That's a huge issue today. Many people. Are taken captive. Now, this does not say avoid studying philosophy. It says that we should avoid being led astray by false or deceptive philosophies. It's necessary that we know about these false philosophies so that we can not be tricked by them. We need to be aware of the philosophies of our day. That's why, uh, back in the when we studied Romans, we looked into the philosophies of of. of uh, uh, of critical theory and critical race theory. And when you continue to engage these, these growing philosophies in our, in, in our culture today, we need to be aware of other religions, uh, other worldviews, so that we're not taken captive by them. Uh, next, we talk about apologetics and action. So is it biblical? Absolutely. We see it time and time again throughout the New Testament specifically. But not only the command to do it, but we also see it done in action. In Acts chapter 17, I encourage you to go and and read it. Acts chapter 17, uh, starting in verse uh, 17, um, Paul engages with audiences. He he en- engages with uh, 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 and, and gives an apologetic for faith. Uh, in, in these uh, verses, well, I guess not, not starting in 17, but in chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 2, uh, we, we see that Paul reasoned in the synagogues and he uh, gave answers concerning the biblical Messiah. Uh, Paul reasoned with the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogues. Again, just look at, at Acts chapter seventeen, he also reasoned with the Greeks in the marketplace. It was his custom to go to the synagogue and reason with them, um, reason with them from the scriptures. and And look at what he did in Acts chapter two, uh, Acts chapter seventeen, verses two and three, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. I mean, this is this is big. He would go in, into a religious setting and use their Old Testament scriptures to point to the Messiah and explain why the Messiah had to die and raise from the dead again. Now, Paul's reasoning with the Gentile philosophers, uh, he focuses on making a point of of contact, and then explaining a biblical worldview. So, where that already exists with the Jewish crab, uh, Paul Paul finds that with the uh, with the Greeks, uh, he has to find a, a a point of contact. For the Jewish crowd, the point of contact is the Old Testament scriptures, the Messiah that's promised. For the Greeks, they, he had to find another because they don't look to the Old Testament scriptures for a Jewish Messiah. So so we see with the Jews, he found a point of contact they shared and was able to work from there. But with the Greeks, he had to find a new a, a new point of contact. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 17. I look specifically at verses 16 through 34 in verse 16 through 21 he's invited to speak uh, to these philosophers at Mars hill he's invited to their turf and so he travels to their turf he he, he uh, c- carefully uh and confidently contended for his worldview uh, reasoning all the time reasoning uh, giving a reason as to why he believed what he believed Look, look at verse um, um, eighteen. Uh, there are people who disagreed with him, but but others he tapped in their curiosity, and and they wanted to know more about what what he was teaching. Um, he, 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 here's the story that we see with Paul. He, he sees a city. He observes a city full of idols, and he noticed one of these idols is a. Idol to an unknown God. And so he used that idol of an unknown God to make a connection with them. Paul's uh, apologetic approach aims to find a point of contact. Uh, he sees that they're very religious and he recognizes that there's an unknown God. And so uh, he, he, he says, Hey, look, listen, while you don't know that God, I know that God. He even quotes one of their own poets. He, he knows the culture of the site, he's not detached not from society, but he's engaged in the society. He knows uh, the, the pop culture of the day. He tapped into their way of thinking. Uh, he used their poets to help uh, 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 make his case. And, and look what he does. He appeals to facts that can be, that can be um, uh, 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 investigated. He, he, he doesn't just give his, uh, his subjective approach to Christianity. He, he looks at how uh, how, how the, the resurrection of Jesus can be investigated. It's, it's not just about um, um, our lives, but it's also about the, the investigation that can be taken about the claims of Christ. And we've talked about this before. <coughs> we've talked about this before. Uh, we can investigate the claims of Christ. Uh, and, 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 and we see in, throughout the New Testament... Uh, as that investigation uh, unfolds, we we see uh, eyewitness accounts of of who Jesus was and, and what he did. Um, Paul stands from from for the truth in in Acts chapter seventeen. He's not condescending. Uh, that, that leads us to, to the question. Um, he wants to look at the facts. Paul wants to look at the facts, the central facts of Christianity. Um. And he he makes that case again. Read chapter uh, chapter seventeen of Acts, and you'll see what Paul does there. Um, he basically systematically walks through uh, how God has revealed Himself to us, and and who God is, and creation, how everything's created by Him through Him, and he talks about God's sovereignty, and then he talks about God's representation of the Christ, uh, especially the resurrection. And finally, in verse 31, he talks about the judgment that's coming. And there's a plea to the people to to come to faith. Uh, Here's what I want to challenge us with. As we see that Paul uses this apologetic approach, he finds a point of contact and develops um, and tries to teach his worldview through this common point of contact. We see some people respond in different ways. Some are curious. Some uh, uh, some back at it. Uh, others probably just went with the flow. But one of the things that should bring up to us as we think through apologetics and Christianity, and maybe something we just need to think about in our own lives, is is what are the central facts that we need to show off, that we need to highlight. Uh, let me ask it another way: What are some of the core or central doctrines that one must believe to be a Christian? What must I believe to be a Christian? Um, uh, what's a non-negotiable? Or or maybe another way to phrase it would be, well, what are some areas where we can agree to disagree? And, and again, we've got to be careful there because sub- subjectivity is dangerous when it comes to apologetics and, and logic. Um, uh, f- for example, um, must I believe that the triune God exists the Triune god meaning father son and holy spirit three persons in one must i believe that to be a christian or uh, another example must i believe in the death uh, the deity the 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 god man jesus and in his death and resurrection must i believe in that must i believe that jesus was god in the flesh must i believe that he died a physical death and he rose uh, from a bodily grave to a, to a new physical life, not just a ghost or some spirits, but a bodily about a bodily resurrection. Must I believe that to be a Christian? Well, I would argue absolutely. One needs to believe that to be a Christian. Um, uh, what else? And, and that list is r- really has to be wrestled through in, in, in many ways. Um, as we start our study on apologetics, not only do we think about uh, the things that we must believe, the central facts, but we also understand that most, op- most opportunities to use apologetics typically occur in spontaneous conversations with others. And, and so when a, a loved one uh, or a neighbor, a colleague, is going through a hard time, and they are experiencing a death of a, of a loved one, and they say, well— how could a good God allow such a bad thing to happen? And so those times where we're often caught off guard and we don't have an answer. But Scripture tells us to be prepared, to take advantage of an opportunity when it's given. We've all been in a situation where someone wanted to know why you're a Christian and, and you weren't prepared. We've all been in that position. Um, here, here's the thing. Uh, it is incre- Apologetics is incredibly... Uh, 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 practical and we need to be prepared. We need to think through things, uh, thoughtfully think through things before we are confronted with them. Now, uh, that being said, uh, the ultimate apologetic, according to a, an apologist named William Craig Lane, uh, is, is your, is your life. And what's that mean? Well, that means that my life needs to represent, uh, the consistency of my worldview for example, I can't say, well, I've surrendered my life to Jesus and I'm a Christian, but yet my life is indistinguishable from the world around me. The truth is, as I live my life uh, uh, for Christ, uh, there should be a contagiousness. There should be a, um, um, an element of my life that's simply different because of who I am in Christ. And if that's not the case, then perhaps I'm living, uh, I'm living wrong. Um. When our commitment to God And our love and concern for others Is evident uh, People will be drawn to Christ When our love When our commitment to God And our love and concern for others Is evident in our lives It will draw people to Christ And so we need to be consistent Christians In our lives We need to be consistent in every area of our life um, So so that's that's the goal, and the ultimate apologetic is is our lives. Now, as we finish up this week, too, very quickly, I want to look at the philosophy of postmodernism and the rejection of the absolute truth. Um, what is, and here's the question we answered last Wednesday, what is philosophical postmodernism? And we answered it, the po- postmodernism is the is the rejection of absolute truth. Uh, for example, postmodernism would say that there's there's nothing that's true for all people. Uh, or another way of saying it, they would say all truth is relative. Well, truth is relative. What's true for one person here, person A might be different for person B. Um, it emphasizes subjectivity, which leads to relativism. It's all about interpreting the world through my eyes. there's no external source it's only my eyes uh, and, and essentially what that does is that makes me that replaces God who's outside of t- time space um, uh, and matter that replaces God who's outside of who's all-powerful and outside of space time and matter and replaces God with with me because here, here's here's what we're doing then I become the arbiter of truth. Truth is uh, is only interpreted through my eyes, and so what's true for me might be true, uh, uh, untrue for you. But what's the and what's the ultimate uh, problem with that? What's self refuting? It's self refuting because it's self refuting to define that there is no truth why well apply that truth claim to itself if the truth claim is there is no truth then we have to apply that claim to itself which means well is that true is it true that there's no truth and is that absolutely true and if you don't see the absurdity of that then then write it down on a piece of paper and look at the flow of the argument to claim that there is no truth is a truth statement. If there is no truth, then how do we know that that truth statement is true? <laughs> it's almost like Betty bought a better butter. It's a tongue twister of sorts, but it's a mind twister as well, isn't it? Uh, think of some um, think of some examples of this. Uh, for example, if somebody were to walk in and say, uh, "I can't speak a word in English." Well, that's a self-defeating statement, isn't it? Well, why? Didn't you just say that in English? Think of another example. Uh, uh, Person A says, you can't have certain knowledge about anything. Well, let's apply that to itself. They say, you can't have certain knowledge about anything. Okay, are you certain about that? Is that certain knowledge, that you can't have certain knowledge about anything? See, postmodernism... It rejects absolute truth and it's it's it's, uh, it, it's self-denying it, it, it's self-refuting to, to reject absolute truth well why well because it because uh, what some people have called the limb sawing principle the limb sawing song principle says you're sitting out on a limb, and you start to cut off the limb that you're sitting on. To claim that there's absolutely no truth, well, to to answer that, well, well, is that absolutely true? The the postmodern, the postmodernist is making an absolute truth claim by rejecting absolute truth. Now, here's the thing: um, that person doesn't intend to claim. The claim to be merely for her own opinion. It, they say there's no absolute truth, and that's not just for that person. It's for all people, all times, everywhere they argue. Well, if that's the case, then there is an absolute truth, and they're wrong. Or if that person were to say, well, all truth is relative. Well, then one might ask the question back, well, is that a relative truth? Or someone might say, well, no one has the truth. Uh, the answer then in back would be, well, is that true? Because it seems like you're making a truth claim. Truth claim being there is no truth. Uh, um, Well, that sounds like a truth claim to me. I I hope you understand what we're going with here. Um, uh, One last example. Um, uh, Someone were to say, we each have our own truth. That's true for you, but not true for me. Well, okay. Uh, is that idea true for you, or is it true for everyone? If that's true for everyone, or just for you, it makes a big difference because you're claiming again a truth answer, a truth answer um, that that is outside of yourself while claiming that you are the arbiter of truth. See, here's the thing, and this is this matters in a large degree in our world today. Um, in banking, uh, truth is absolute or objective. It doesn't matter what the bank says in my account, uh, the postmodern response my claim. It's how much I feel should be in there that counts. Well, no, certainly no. That's not the case. Banking isn't uh, uh, subjective. It's absolute. Either you have money in there or you don't. It doesn't matter how much you feel like you should have in there. Or think about medicine. The medicine de- demands an absolute truth to be in existence in our world today. Here, here's the thing: it doesn't matter whether the doctor gives you uh, 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 medicine or poison. That that matters. Like I, that does matter. It's not it's not what you think about the medicine or the poison. The absolute truth of the contents matters. You wouldn't accept poison openly and say, "Well, but I feel good about it." No, certainly not. The thing about it in in a, in a courtroom, uh, uh you, you you swear to tell the truth, the full truth, and nothing but the truth. You don't swear to tell my own truth to the full extent of my own truth and nothing but my own truth. So help me in my personal experience that would be absurd. See, what we lose sight of, it, what the postmodernists lose sight of is the fact that there is an absolute truth that makes a difference. And, and this is huge in our world today because our world wants to push back against absolute truth and say, well, no, there's not absolute truth. It's all speculative. That's why we can't answer us simple questions. And, and, and listen, I, I know, as I say this, some are going to say, well, you're just picking on people. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. But it's quite simple to identify what a woman is. And quite simple to identify what a man is. And until, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, three years ago, four years ago, when, when no one would have argued that. Uh, but it's becoming more and more prevalent today to argue that men can get pregnant. I'm sorry. There's an absolute truth that men cannot get pregnant. And anyone with half of a brain can identify what a woman is. It's a, it's a full-grown uh, uh, female it's a, it's a female outside of puberty. Um, we, we know these terms because we've used them in our world since the dawn of creation. And the challenge for, for for the Christian worldview today and for our children growing up in a very postmodern worldview is that there wants to be uh, the, the postmodern worldview wants to have squishy lines that are unclear. Jesus dealt with with uh, transgenderism, believe it or not. He said, have you not heard the God who made the male and f- female in the beginning? And Jesus acknowledges uh, the simple creation order of male and female. The Bible testifies to that, and to argue against that today is is baffling. But more, my words, there are churches even now. There are at least five churches that I'm somewhat connected with who, who would openly— Um, uh, 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 fly out uh, the LGBTQ plus flag I saw a post this morning uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine is pastoring a church um, or supposedly pastoring a church and has a LGBTQ plus flag on the door that says uh, God's doors are open to everyone well that's certainly true his doors are open to everyone but he doesn't call you as you are he calls you repent and live a new life. We need to repent. We need to turn from our sinfulness and walk a new and newness of life. And we need a new heart to be able to do that. And so from the Old Testament th- throughout the New Testament, we see this promise of a new heart being put unto the people of God. So they can live new lives. There's absolute truth. And that's the point that we want to make in this first lesson of apologetics. Truth exists. And truth, the definition that we all need to understand, is truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is what corresponds with reality. And truth undeniably exists. It is independent from belief. It doesn't matter what I believe, truth is truth. For example, I can believe that butter pecan is the best ice cream ever, but is that a truth? No. That's an opinion. And we need to be able to dis- distinguish between truth and opinion. Truth is what it is. It doesn't depend on my beliefs. It doesn't pl- depend on my point of view. Truth is truth. In in in, in the law, uh, um, for example, I, t- I teach uh, self-defense and, uh, CCDW classes, carry concealed deadly weapon classes. And, and some of the legal definitions matter quite a bit when defending yourself, for example, it's the facts as you believe them to be, which leads, leaves open the doorway for being wrong. If I believe someone is going to kill me and I kill them first, I can use justification as the defense. My belief perhaps was wrong. They maybe weren't going to kill me, but instead just uh, tickle me to death. Well, I can be wrong and still use justification as a defense. That doesn't mean I'll get by with it. That means I can argue justification as my defense. But when defending other people, it's no longer the facts as you believe them to be. In the KRS uh, 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 law, it is the facts as they actually are. So when defending someone else, it matters the facts as they actually are. So I, I might have believed that person A was going to kill person B, and so I pulled my gun and shot person A. I, I believe person A was going to kill person B. But the facts as they actually are, if person A is a law enforcement officer and person B is someone who's being taken into custody, and I pull my gun and shoot the law enforcement officer, I'm going to be prosecuted. I don't have justification as defense. Why? Because the facts as they actually are uh, uh, um, would, would show that I was wrong. Our world functions on absolute truths, and the postmodernist wants to deny um, uh, wants to deny absolute truth. And one of the big reasons they want to deny absolute truth is because there is a hook when it comes to Christianity. And, and this is really the question that we have to ask: What's the hook when it comes to Christianity? Well, listen. If Christianity is true, and if the claims of Christianity are true, then there are hooks or implications that make it uh, important for us. One of the big implications is uh, if Christianity is true and Jesus is, arose from the dead and he's going to return to judge the world. Well, if that's true, we ought to believe, not just with our heads, but with our hearts and with our, with our actions and uh, live it out and follow Jesus' commands because he is the righteous king who is coming back to judge the living and the dead. If it's true, then Jesus is the only way for people to be made right with God. And so there are big implications. And, and so that's, that's our big point with apologetics and engaging in, a, in the postmodern worldview today is the idea that truth exists and it matters. It matters quite a bit. Now join us again this next Wednesday as we start lesson three and we start looking through uh, uh, other teachings uh, uh, or or, uh, other aspects of apologetics. And we'll start answering and uh, answering some of the contradictions or supposed contradictions of the Bible. Uh, Until then, uh, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Leesburg Talk podcast. And we'll see you Wednesday nights from uh, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. God bless. Take care. Thanks so much for listening.